Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, welcome to another episode of Luke's English Podcast. This episode is devoted to the memory of my granddad, Dennis, who died at the end of last year. Um, for a while now, I've been thinking about uh, my granddad, and um, I just wanted to pay tribute to him in some way, just try and remember his life, and just talk about him. Um, and um, since my podcast is uh, my way of doing that, um, it's my way of talking about things that I want to talk about, um, I thought this might be a subject I could deal with in another episode of the podcast. Um, so I'll be talking about his life, talking about uh, my family's memories of him. Um, if you do feel moved uh, to comment, then please do share your thoughts by leaving uh, your messages on the page for this episode, which you can find at teacherluke.co.uk. The episode is entitled Eulogy for Dennis. Um, just leave any comment that you that you want. If you want to express your condolences, you can. If you just want to share uh, thoughts that um, you have, maybe about uh, loved ones who've, who you've lost as well, if you want to celebrate their memories as well in some way, I know that perhaps just leaving a comment on a website isn't necessarily the most uh, appropriate way to remember um, someone who you you loved very much. Um, Normally, there are slightly more significant um, ways of doing that. But nevertheless, um, perhaps you you may want to share a, a, a memory or a uh, a brief anecdote, or just um, just express how you feel when listening to this episode. Okay, so um, that's pretty much all I have to say in the introduction. Let's get started. So this episode of the podcast is entitled A Eulogy for Dennis. Now what's a eulogy? A eulogy is a tribute, either written or spoken, usually celebrating and praising someone who has just died. This episode is a eulogy for my grandfather Dennis who died recently at the age of 94. Much of what I'm saying uh, in this episode has been written down in advance of recording. It's been written already. So I am reading from a script. I have said plenty of times before that I prefer to record without a script because I think it makes my speaking more natural and authentic. However, in this case, I felt that I had to write a script before recording because I wanted to prepare my thoughts and comments carefully. So this episode is scripted, which is good in one way because it means that it's there if you want to read exactly what I'm saying. I expect that I will go off script at times and express my thoughts as they come to me, so there may be some unscripted parts. Either way, you can follow uh, the bits that are written down by going to teacherluke.co.uk and finding the page for this episode. 
I hope that you I hope that you don't find this episode self-indulgent or overly personal. I do invite you to listen and share some memories of my granddad who I regrettably never featured on the podcast in person. I hope that this episode can be a sort of celebration of his life as well as a respectful tribute. The music that you can hear in the background by the way is Al Bowley, one of my granddad's favorites. Um, I've been preparing this episode for a few days now um, and ideally it would be more detailed with input from the rest of my family, perhaps some readings of his favorite poetry or literature and anecdotes from his childhood, but in the end I realized that I just couldn't spend too much time on it and so I've just decided to start recording. Um, If I don't record this episode today, I might never do it, so I decided to strike while the iron is hot, while my memories of my granddad are fresh, um, and I just decided I'd start recording, even though, in my mind, a better tribute would be more appropriate, but this is just the best I can do at this time. Um, If you, as I said, if you want to make a comment in response to this episode, uh, showing some sympathy, and you're wondering what to write, the appropriate things are usually things like this, I'm sorry for your loss or condolences to your family. Those are the kinds of things that you might uh, write if you want to express your sympathy. Um, But it's okay, really. Don't feel obliged uh, to write anything unless you really want to. Um, I'm I'm fine, of course. Um, Obviously, I I do miss him, and so does the rest of the family, but we're all fine. His death, uh, although very sad, was not completely unexpected. And at the age of 94... Well, I mean, he did well to get that far, didn't he? Um, You know, it's a pretty good innings, as you might say. That's a phrase that you might hear um, uh, English people say when they refer to someone who lived a fairly long time before they died. Um, He had a good innings. Um, So my grandfather lived until 94, so he had a pretty good innings. What's an innings? Well, in a game of cricket... And I I can't explain the entire rules of cricket now, although I would love to because I love the game. Um, And so did my granddad. He was a huge cricket fan. Um, But I can't explain all the rules of cricket. That would have to be another episode of the podcast. But basically an innings is when one person goes out uh, into the field to bat. Uh, When he's got the bat, the cricket bat in his hands and he's hitting the ball um, until he's out for example until someone catches the ball after he's hit it uh, until he's out he has an innings and um, in cricket you can have a very long innings you can stay in bat for a whole day sometimes uh, scoring you know over a hundred runs or more Um, so that's an innings so you might say when someone has died and they were quite old you can say well he had a pretty he had a pretty good innings Um, so um, comments are always welcome Uh, on the podcast and uh, if you feel like sharing similar experiences or ideas then go ahead teacherluke.co.uk this is episode 259 eulogy for dennis i'm not entirely sure if my podcast is the appropriate place to give a tribute to my granddad Um, this is a podcast for learning english Uh, but at the same time my podcast is a way for me to communicate and share thoughts with an audience of intelligent people around the world. Um, And if the content of each episode is interesting for you to listen to, then great. It's good for your English um, if you're interested in what you're listening to. Helps you to engage with, you know, the meaning and the message that's being communicated. Um, So it's good if if you're interested in this. 
And uh, even though I'm not directly teaching you language in this episode, there's still a lot to be gained from just engaging with what I'm saying intellectually or indeed emotionally. I hope that you can get a lot of comprehensible language input from Luke's English Podcast and hopefully more than that too. Uh, for me, I want to be able to, sh- um, to tell people about my granddad because now he's gone and his actions are consigned to history. I just want more people to know what he did and that he was a good guy. Although I do want to be respectful, there's no need, I think, to be overly sombre or sad in this episode. My granddad had a great sense of humour and he wasn't the sort of person to dwell on dark and depressing thoughts. I imagine that he wouldn't want me to take this episode too seriously and he he would just want everyone to be happy and glad for what they have. It makes me happy then to share memories and knowledge about this member of my family. So I'm going to talk about Dennis just so that you know about him too. He was a really popular man and I hope his quiet charm comes through somehow in this episode. He was also a modest bloke um, and if he was here now he'd probably find this to be a little bit embarrassing and unnecessary me talking about him like this on the podcast but he's not here so I can do whatever I like and I would like to spend some time talking about him so that's exactly what I'm going to do. Um, So let's start with his childhood. Now actually I don't know that much about his childhood really. Um, I know that he lived opposite a church Um, He grew up in quite a large house, and I think he really enjoyed growing up there with quite a lot of space to play in. Um, I asked my mum about his childhood recently. She said that he spent a lot of time at boarding school. Um, A boarding school is a a school where you not only take lessons, but you also stay in the school during term time, so you sleep there. Like, for example, Hogwarts in the the Harry Potter uh, books, that's a boarding school. Um, so my granddad was at boarding school, so he spent most of his time there. Um, but then in the summer, he came back to the family house and, uh, apparently spent lots of really happy days. Uh, they used to go on holiday trips to the northeast coast of England, um, which, um, you might not think is a, a great holiday resort. You might think, well, it's cold and it rains and it's not exactly the Mediterranean, and you'd be right. But in those days, it was really quite rare to leave the country to go on holiday. So we're talking sort of, um, uh, let's see, 1920s, 1930s, that kind of period. Um, And it was a lot more common to go on holiday in England, if you lived in England. So people would go to the coasts, there were little holiday resorts there. And apparently he had great times playing with his brother, his older brother, and his cousins as well. Um, So, you know, a fairly typical childhood. Um, I can't really tell you a lot more about his early life because I just don't know enough. And if he was here, I'd ask him all about it. Suddenly, in fact, suddenly now saying these things, I do want to know everything about his life story. Um, So I will have to try and talk to my parents and uh, get, you know, more information from them. But uh, right here and now, I can't really say much more about his childhood, except that he was... Um, he grew up in a, I, I guess, a fairly middle-class family, and he was probably quite a typical child of, of the time, really. Um, we have to talk about wartime, because this is one of the big moments in his life, which is a pity, because really, the war only took up five or six years of his life, and um, he lived um, 88 more years than that. So it would be a pity to make the war 
dominate the story of Dennis's life, but unfortunately it does play quite a large part. Um, so, of course, in 1939, World War II started, and um, my grandfather didn't really have any choice, really, but to fight. Um, he was enlisted in the army, and in fact he was made an officer. I think that's because he had a position in a, in a company that was fairly... Uh, that had some authority and some uh, responsibilities over other people and so uh, that was matched by his position in, uh, in in the army so he was actually when he did go into battle he was an officer and he had a um, uh, I guess it was a platoon of men something in the region of 30 men that he was responsible for um, he didn't really tell us a lot about the really dangerous and traumatic stuff that he must have done um, in World War Two, he tended to play it down. He didn't talk about it a lot. If we asked him about what happened in the war, he would focus on certain things, but he often left out. I mean, I got the sense that he left out some of the more horrific uh, and gruesome details. Um, he did have. Um, he did actually get the military cross. He was awarded the military cross which is a, a really quite distinctive medal, um, which um, the government, I suppose, the state, would uh, award soldiers for doing particularly heroic things during the war. And I do actually have a copy of his report, uh, which gives you an idea of some of the things that he did. And knowing my granddad, he was a modest, fairly quiet person, not the kind of person that you could imagine ever Going, running into a war zone with a gun in his hand um, and then spending, you know, days, weeks fighting. It's just incredible, really, because he was just such a mellow person. So it's really difficult for me to imagine him fighting, but he did, and he won the military cross because he did some pretty outstanding things. Let me just uh, read the report to you. Okay, so this is um, my granddad's report that... Um, was issued along with the military cross that he won, and it goes like this. Lieutenant Dennis Hallam, the East Yorkshire Regiment. This officer has commanded a platoon in a rifle company continuously since D-Day, showing throughout outstanding gallantry and powers of leadership, especially on patrol. On the 23rd of October 1944, outside Van Reich, which I think is in the Netherlands, he was leading a daylight patrol which was ambushed at very close range. With complete disregard for his own safety, he controlled the withdrawal of the patrol in the face of heavy fire and remained behind himself within about 50 yards of the enemy, keeping up a constant stream of smoke grenades until he was certain that everyone was clear. But for his coolness and initiative, a large part of the patrol might have been lost. Prior to the capture of Helling Hellingen Road, on the 16th of April 1945, he led his patrol deep into the enemy's positions and by deliberately drawing their fire was able to pinpoint posts which materially assisted the planning of the subsequent attack. Following the capture of uh, Mackenstead on the 16th of April and again during the mopping up of Bremen, his dash and aggressive action in the face of continual sniping inspired his platoon of very young soldiers with a determination which quickly gained them their objectives. On the 18th of April, outside Delmenhorst, 
His company and its support troops were held up by an 88mm gun and an enemy position on their left flank. But with superb initiative, Lieutenant Hallam led his troop round a covered flank and by the speed of his attack overwhelmed a position equal in strength to his own and accounted for the entire garrison and the gun. At all times, this officer has been an outstanding source of inspiration to those around him and has shown powers of leadership above his rank. Wow, so that's his report. And just, as I said, really, uh, reading that report, it's just amazing to me that um, that that's my granddad uh, because he's, he was really such a passive person. But clearly, um, he did act in a very brave way. He must have done some incredibly dangerous things um, and it must have been so frightening for him. I think I remember him talking about the fact that after a while, after being out there in, in the in the battlefield, in the field of combat, after a while, you start to get a little bit sort of blasé or um, uh, um, a little bit almost sort of overconfident. When you get, you know, when bullets are flying over your head all the time, Probably at the beginning, you know, you're just constantly getting down, extremely fearful. But after a while, you get used to it and you probably become a little bit blasé. And you, you you might throw yourself into quite dangerous situations if that's what's necessary. Uh, but still, it's, it's, it's just incredible, really. And, um, you know, I'm obviously extremely proud that he fought um, like that. It, uh, I'm sure at times he wondered why he was doing it. Um, he probably couldn't afford to think about it too much um i I can't really say what was going through his head while doing that but i can imagine that if it was me um it would be a very complicated set of feelings certainly that's just overwhelming sense of fear and the sense that you'd have to overcome your fear and get a grip on yourself and do what was necessary for that moment um, and it seems that that's exactly what he did so he must have shown quite outstanding bravery and also a cool head because in order to um, um, keep control of a platoon of men in such high pressured situations you need to be able to think pretty clearly so I've always been impressed by my granddad's um, uh, sort of strength of mind and, and uh, he, he was all the way up until he died he was a very sharp-minded person very intelligent guy and um, um, it seems it seems that um, in his uh, experiences there in in World War two that really came uh, came in useful for him um, so it's you know I don't want to underplay the fact that he won this medal. It's obviously an incredible thing, and he is a sort of hero, uh, really. But also, I don't want to overplay it as well, because as I said, it's only six years of his life. Um, Let me talk about his family life then. Um, So, um, after my granddad died, I spent a little bit of time at my parents' place, and uh, we were looking through photo albums that they'd got from his house. And there were all these photos that I'd never seen before photographs of him and my grandmother when they were young immediately after the war um while my granddad was serving in the army my my i mean he'd already met my granny and um they'd fallen in love and so on and uh, so obviously they were separated by by war which must have been incredibly hard 
um and they were planning their lives together as well you know by letter and when whenever he had an opportunity to visit her back home he would go back and they'd spend time together so they were beginning to plan their lives together it's just the the, the world war Two kind of got in the way as it did for many other people i mean my granddad was lucky because he survived you know as we know thousands of other men didn't and you know the 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 dreams of young couples must have been smashed every day um, by um, you know the loss of life on the battlefield. But luckily, my granddad was one of the survivors. Um, and so, after World War Two, they set up a home together. And in fact, my granny bought the house while my my granddad was at, at war. And they um, and they lived uh, together. Um, and there are photos of the two of them. And it's just incredible to see them. They're actually, they, they were younger than I am now, and they looked so sweet together. She was beautiful. She was gorgeous, very pretty and elegant. Uh, he was handsome and elegant, too, in his own way, clever with a dry sense of humour, and he was a decorated war hero. And although I think my gran was impressed by the fact that he was a decorated military officer, I imagine by the end of the war they both hated the conflict and they just wanted it to end so that they could be together um my gran never really mentioned his war experiences either in fact neither of them ever made a big deal out of it i think they saw it as well the horrific and uh, unfortunate um thing that it was um i sometimes wonder did dennis experience post-traumatic stress um i mean he must have seen and done some pretty horrific things it must have been incredibly traumatic for him. Um, I mean, he was at D-Day. He landed on the beach at D-Day. I think it was Sword Beach that he landed at, which was not quite as horrific as um, Omaha Beach, which is the, the, the one that you see in Saving Private Ryan, the Tom Hanks movie. Omaha Beach was a horrible uh, uh, experience for the American soldiers that landed there, and, and thousands of men died on that day. But at Sword Beach... The death toll was was lower. And yet, I remember him mentioning once that when he landed at Sword Beach, he ran, a lo- he ran up the beach with bullets and shells flying over his head. And he saw uh, the bodies of dead soldiers on the sand and he had to keep running past them. The bodies of his, um, his uh, uh, you know, his, his friends, I imagine. People that he knew. He probably saw them die in front of him. And I wonder if he actually had to kill. I'm sure he did. Again, it's hard for me to imagine. And it's not really it's not really something that I'd like to dwell on. I don't think it's something he wanted to dwell on either. To dwell on something means to sort of stay on something and think about it for a long time. Maybe talk about it. Um, to dwell on something. Uh, if you don't want to dwell on it, you'd rather just forget about it really and, and move on. Um, so, um, so, um, but anyway, it was really amazing to see pictures of the two of them together. They were a gorgeous couple. Um, and, uh, yeah, I wonder if Dennis experienced post-traumatic stress. I remember seeing one of the photos is that there's a picture of her standing in the kitchen, uh, looking great, looking so young and beautiful. There's a picture of him sitting down at the kitchen table and he's got a slightly thoughtful look on his face. Um, but he often had that kind of look on his face. But I wonder where his thoughts were. Was he trying to deal with the horrible things that had happened uh, uh, during the war? I wonder. 
anyway they set up a house and looked to the future um and i expect they just you know wanted a quiet and normal life together after the horror that they'd both had to go through um so um again seeing those pictures i feel like i would really like to meet them that was my feeling when i looked at the pictures i thought i'd love to be there i'd like to meet them and talk to them and spend time with them and i can't help thinking that we would have got on with each other and it's funny really because in fact we did get on with each other because i did meet them i did spend time with them uh, they were my grandparents and you know I, I loved them and and it was great but seeing them as young people it's almost like they were different people and it would have been great to actually be there on you know um as on the same level as them at the same age so i could actually talk to them and spend time with them and have fun and go out and have a drink with them and that kind of thing um so it would be amazing to meet them when they were the same age as me and this actually sort of makes me think of back to the future in a way which is a film about um you know a guy going back into the past and meeting his parents when they're the same age as him and it's it's entertaining and interesting to see what happens uh, back to the future is a film which i'd like to talk about on the podcast soon as i've mentioned already i don't think my granddad was a big back to the future fan i think he never saw it, it wasn't his cup of tea um so um yeah as i said he didn't talk about the war very much i expect that he wanted to put it behind him he didn't want to dwell on it uh my mum says um that growing up that dennis was a little bit removed at times and not always completely emotionally engaged um maybe this is related to how he dealt with his wartime experience who knows maybe that was just sometimes um it caused him to be a bit distant or maybe he was just an emotionally reserved person we don't really know um you know we 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 don't know to what extent the war had an effect on him um he didn't seem to be overly troubled or emotionally burdened by ex- his experience in fact he quite successfully put it behind him i think um um so yeah at times my at times he could be a little bit uh, uh emotionally reserved but i think that's quite normal for uh, a yorkshireman I mean, he he grew up in in Yorkshire, and you know, men of his generation. I think you know they weren't always very emotive. English men from Yorkshire, from that period. Um, but that's not to say that he wasn't warm and loving, because he was. He was a kind, loving, and thoughtful person, but perhaps a little bit reserved when it came to expressing his feelings openly but his warmth his warmth came through in different ways like for example with his humor his obvious enjoyment of being with the family his interest in our news and so on um it's almost impossible to imagine him in a war zone fighting as a soldier uh, for me he was most at home in his armchair reading doing crossword puzzles watching cricket and laughing at jokes or making jokes like many other men and women of his generation he was pulled out of his life and forced to engage in bloody combat forced really by the need to go to war against um against the enemy to fight back against the nazis and he was forced by events outside of his control which swept him away from his otherwise peaceful life um conscripted into the army i imagine that he found himself wondering how it had happened um but i think he quickly got down to the pragmatics of it and did his training and you know took on the challenge 
in a in the proper way um i'm i'm sure that he was also well aware of what had happened to so many other men of his generation and in fact the previous generation in world war Two. Sorry, in World War One. In World War One, nearly nine hundred thousand uh, Brits, British men, died, and so I expect my grandfather going into World War Two was well aware of the danger and and what he might have been getting himself into. So I can't imagine how it must have felt to be walking into a similar situation. I suppose that he took on the challenge like everyone else. He was only one of thousands of other soldiers who were asked to fight uh, for their country. Um, So I think he had a sense of national duty and a duty to the king and so on. Um, and, And that probably helped him. These days, people aren't quite so sort of I don't know, are they? They're not quite as passionate about serving queen and country as perhaps they used to be in uh, for his generation. Um, those feelings of, you know, sort of duty and uh, duty to the country and the king, it was King George VI at that time, that probably helped him. And I don't think he ever questioned or challenged the Allied command or the general fight against the Nazis. I expect he saw it as a necessary move, albeit one that he wished was not necessary, in fact. Um, It does make me angry, though, that those who wage war force people like my granddad into such horrific situations. It's just... It's just not fair. Many, many men lost their lives and others suffered in other ways, physical injury, but also mental or emotional trauma, which must have affected these young men deeply. And it's not just something that's, um, it's not just something limited to World War II and British soldiers. Any uh, war situation that forces young men to fight is just, it's just a tragedy, isn't it? I think of all the powerful men and indeed women, who, motivated by some twisted and distorted sense of justice, decide that they have the right to decide who lives and who dies, and with a sweep of the hand, they cause untold suffering and consequences around the world for generations. What kind of supreme arrogance and small-mindedness is it that causes some power-hungry maniacs to believe that they can just do whatever they want? What kind of egomaniac thinks that they can play with the lives of millions of people just to satisfy their own hunger for power or their own twisted sense of justice? What on earth makes one guy think that he's the one to rule the world? It's sick and it disgusts me, frankly, that certain autocratic dictators will stop at nothing to satisfy their bruised egos. And it may not even be the autocratic dictators leaders who lead people to war i know that sometimes there's no choice but anyway there's not really any need to go into it anymore i think that enough has been said about war and the causes of war and i know that it's complicated and i don't want to open up some debate here because there are many shades of gray more than just 50 and what looks like the actions of a power-hungry psychopath to one person may look like the righteous leadership uh, to another person Um, it it depends on your point of view and what kind of propaganda you've been exposed to as well but ultimately with great power comes great responsibility that's something i learned from spider-man and who said you don't learn things from comic books okay uh with great power comes great responsibility and in and in so many cases those who seek great great power rarely manage to behave responsibly um, 
I'm sure that there are leaders who do a great job and are, who are both powerful and responsible, compassionate and caring. And it's really hard to keep the peace sometimes. Sometimes you have no choice but to lead the country to war. But when you go out of your way to slaughter millions just because you don't like the way they look or the way they dress or the way they pray or the way they otherwise live their lives, then get a grip on yourself. If I met Hitler or anyone else, you know, any of these other people who are guilty of similar things, I would ask him, who the hell do you think you are, mate? I probably wouldn't do it in in that way. I'd probably try and be more convincing. Who the hell do you think you are, mate? I don't think I'd put mate at the end. Anyway, he'd probably tell me that he was someone special. But it would be the wrong answer, wouldn't it? Because he was just another schmuck. One of the biggest twats in recent memory. Along with a bunch of other people who I'm sure you could all name. So anyway, just one point, which may, which may be me just stating the obvious also. But it wasn't the Germans either. It wasn't the Germans that were the enemy. It was the Nazis or whatever you want to call those people. You know what I mean. There were plenty of Germans who suffered at the hands of the Nazis too. So for me, it's not the Germans, it's fascists. Fascists come or came from all sorts of countries. It was a battle of ideas, not not a question of where you came from. Um, anyway, I don't want to go on about this too long, but I've just got a couple of other things to say. Also, I know that Britain doesn't exactly have a perfect past either. If I'm talking about, you know... Um, the actions of those who who, who lead people to war or who um, cause uh, the deaths of many people. Um, uh, I know that Britain doesn't have a perfect past either. We used to be a huge colonial power and Britain or the UK or England has done some pretty messed up stuff in history too. For example, in India, in the Middle East. So... Everyone is involved in war to an extent, but I do believe it's possible for mankind to exist without war. I know it sounds a bit cheesy, but there you go. It's like John and Yoko said, John Lennon and Yoko Ono. It's like what they said, give peace a chance. Just entertain the idea for a moment that perhaps war is not the answer and that the whole world could decide to just get on. Now, we, we sometimes assume that war is just inevitable and so on, but is it? Isn't it possible that we could live without war? Isn't it possible that we could just decide to, to work it out and just to live together and just to become a bit more tolerant? I know that that's naive of me to say that, but why not? Communication, diplomacy, talking to each other, using words, listening, finding compromise, trying to solve problems, seeing it from the other person's point of view. That must be the way forward, unless you believe in the end of the world, and in fact somehow fantasize about it happening. But I don't believe in the end of the world. I think the world will go on for many, many more years, as long as it's not hit by a huge asteroid, like when the dinosaurs were around. So what I'm trying to say is that uh, I think it's worth fighting for peace i know that that might isn't that the right is that the right word fighting for peace it's worth sticking with peace working towards it being diplomatic and talking to each other um i think that's very important um i mentioned the dinosaurs there did you know that the dinosaurs lived way way longer than us we look back at the dinosaurs sometimes as a failed species but in fact they were around for about 135 million years. We've been around as the dominant species for about 200,000 years. So compare the dinosaurs, their innings 
was 135 million years. So far, our innings is 200,000. So the dinosaurs were around about 675 times longer than us. So just to put it in perspective, that's the equivalent to about one day compared to about two years. Okay, so we've been around for one day. The dinosaurs were around about two years. Imagine the first day in a new job. Okay, just the first day. You're nervous. You don't know anyone. You find it hard to get along with the other people who work there. You don't really like them at first. Uh, you don't know how to do your job very well. Uh, you think this this uh, is unsustainable. I don't think I can stick around in this job. I don't feel welcome. I, I don't feel at home here. Um, um, but it's just the first day and you've got two years ahead of you. So for the, for the humans, it's still like our first day on the job as the dominant species. Um, and we've actually achieved nothing compared to the dinosaurs, if staying alive is the objective, that is. Uh, so for us humans, we should learn to get along or we, you know, or we won't make it as far as the dinosaurs. Now, we, we have this idea that we're the best. We walk around assuming that humans are the greatest thing since sliced bread. But in fact, the dinosaurs were way more successful in terms of survival than us. So I think we need to just consider the way that we're going about things. Um, basically, what I'm saying, war is bad. But I think we all know that war is bad. But anyway... Um, I don't really understand what's going on in the world sometimes. I, it just seems so confusing. Why are there wars? Why does humankind feel the need to smash itself up from time to time? Um, isn't survival on the planet hard enough without us trying to kill each other? Perhaps we are hardwired to fight against each other for our own survival. But we've only recently invented weapons of mass destruction. So our instinct, developed over years of evolution has maybe equipped us with a keen sense of survival, which includes the will to fight each other. But now that we have massively destructive weapons, isn't it, isn't it uh, time to just use our brains to control those basic instincts towards violence? I mean, just play a video game or go to the gym if you have that much aggression inside you. Do some sit-ups, maybe, rather than getting all angry and causing World War Three. Just have an ice cream and chill out, okay? Right. That's it. Rant over. How did I end up talking about that? I was just expressing anger about those powerful individuals who wage war. That's what I was talking about. I know I might sound naive when I'm talking about this subject. Like you might think, yeah, but war is necessary because of the, you know, intricate, poli yeah, whatever. I am a bit naive to say that, yeah, man, we can just live in peace, man. But, you know, I'm just saying it's a pity that, that you know, uh, people like my granddad get drawn into wide conflicts like World War II. Two. Two. <laughs> World War Two. You might say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Yes. Oh, and by the way, my grandfather was not bitter. He wasn't bitter about the people he was fighting in the war. He never spoke badly about anyone, really. I think the most outspoken thing that he ever said was that he didn't agree with women being priests in the Anglican church which is a pretty old-fashioned view, but there you go. And it's nothing, it's nothing to do with the war. So other than that kind of thing, he didn't have a bad word to say about anyone, really. He never meant, he never talked badly about the Germans. You know, he, he, he obviously was intelligent, open-minded enough to know that, um, uh, it, that uh, it wasn't necessarily the Germans and there was no need to kind of uh, hold a grudge. In World War II as well, Japan was an enemy of the Allies, 
but my granddad was so pleased to meet my Japanese friends when I invited them to my parents' house at Christmas a few years ago. He was really friendly with them and we had a really great Christmas. Of course we did. Why would he bear a grudge against the people who were clearly nothing to do with a war that happened generations ago? There's no good reason to him for, for him to have done that. So obviously I'm proud that he was a reasonable person. But I know that there are some people out there who, you know, hold on to these grudges when it's not really necessary. I don't want to go on about war too much. It's annoying that his generation will forever be associated with it because it was only a small chapter in his life really and there's no need to dwell on it. It didn't make him who he was. He was more than that. He did so many other things including having a family and raising two children and that's worth celebrating as much as anything else. Of course I'm going to say it but I love my uncle and my mum massively. They're just great and that's it. And for me, I think that uh, just the, the, the way that my granddad raised his family um, and the legacy that he's left, I, of course I feel more proud about that than about violence that occurred um, that was beyond his control in World War II. Although I also appreciate that he was incredibly brave and I'm proud of him. Um, so I actually read, a, um, I read out my granddad's eulogy in church during the funeral service. Um, so it's quite common in a funeral service in the UK that uh, a member of the family will come up and read out a eulogy in front of everyone. Um, so um, I was the one who read the eulogy out. It was written by my granddad's children, that's my mum and my uncle, and they felt that they wouldn't be able to read it out without getting emotional. So they asked me to do it. And I was so proud to be asked. Uh, I didn't feel too nervous. I was really happy to read it. I didn't get emotional until right at the end when uh, when my voice started shaking a bit. But I just want to read out the eulogy to you now. Um, and this, is, uh, this was written by my mum and my uncle. And I was very proud to um, be able to read this out in church. Um, at uh, my granddad's funeral so it's entitled things we will remember about our dad and it goes like this um, his quiet modest ironic witty and amusing presence his intelligence erudition and knowledge his love of reading especially dick dickens and trollope who he read many many times his ability to write short stories poems articles wonderful letters and inspirational little magazines which he produced during the war to boost the morale of his platoon. Going with him to the public library to be introduced to the likes of Robert Louis Stevenson, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and P.G. Woodhouse. His diverse musical tastes encompassing Beethoven, Gilbert and Sullivan and Al Bowley. His facility for mimicry and pastiche. His phenomenal memory. Ask Dad, he'll know was frequently said by all members of the family. His love of and pride in Yorkshire, its cricket team, its landscapes, towns and villages, and all the happy memories it held for him of his childhood with his older brother and cousins, and later his pleasure in taking us on family holidays there, climbing Penny, Ghent and Ingleborough, brewing up coffee on a Primus stove, sheltering from the rain under bridges, and recently his enjoyment of visits with Shirley to Connolly, getting to know and love the village where his grandparents lived. His affection for his school, Queen Elizabeth Grammar in Wakefield, 
where he obviously had a great education and whose headmaster, A.J. Spilsbury, was a lifelong hero. The cardigans he used to wear, the pockets of which always contained stubs of pencils with which he completed the cryptic crosswords he loved and was always so expert at, even up to the last few months of his life. His love of France and the wonderful holidays he and Mum had, travelling the length and breadth of the country, camping or staying in rather primitive gites. And after Mum dies, uh, after Mum died, the holiday, uh, the holidays based on French courses he attended in various parts of France. His amazing facility for languages, most particularly French, Spanish, and German, the talent for which he has not passed on to us. His skill with a watercolour brush, his public spiritedness, volunteering to work at the Cheshire home every Monday evening for 23 years, his hatred of computers, but his amazing facility for texting on his mobile phone, his characteristic silent laugh in which he closed his eyes and threw his head back while quietly expelling hair through while quietly expelling air through his half-open mouth, not a sound escaping. His resilience and sometimes infuriating self-sufficiency, his even temper, which he only ever lost on one memorable occasion, with very good reason. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. The skill he displayed in cooking after mum died, taking pride in hosting lunch and dinner parties. His luck, his luck, yes, sustaining only one injury during his very active war, a cut lip, which he got while playing football. The good health he enjoyed during most of his long life, up to the last two or three years, and after mum died, to have the companionship of Shirley, with whom he had some very happy years, not least because, thanks to her Sky subscription, he was able to sit and watch cricket all day long. They also went on many holidays and trips, and she looked after him so lovingly during his last months. The modest bravery that he displayed in his youth. When we asked about the military cross which he won in the war, he would say, airily, oh, they were ten a penny. His stoicism in the face of his death, saying just a couple of days before he died, what will be, will be. His quiet religious devotion, no doubt instilled in him from the day of his birth, in a house just over the road from Beverly Minster, where his father was a chorister. He was an exceptional example of a past generation, and as Hamlet says of his father, I shall not look upon his like again. So, um, that's the eulogy that my mum and my uncle wrote for my granddad. Um, so, I just I could just add a couple of things. As a grandfather, we, my brother and I, we only got the best of Dennis, and that was a lot. I remember him as just a great person to share a joke with. He was always up for a laugh, and as mum and Nick my uncle mentioned he was brilliant at doing impressions and characters. He was just a lovely, intelligent, mild-mannered and warm presence and we have nothing but joyful memories of our time with him. Here's a quick list of some of my memories. Um, here are some of the things that I think about when I remember my granddad. His tone of voice. It was soft and comforting and humorous. His general knowledge and knowledge of history and literature. He knew so much about history, literature, art and culture 
and he was a great person to have on your team at a pub quiz. He knew so many of the answers to these questions. Um, his memory, he had a fantastic memory all the way up until um, uh, the day that he died, in fact. Um, his love of cricket. Um, cricket is a sport which many of you won't really know about. You, you probably think it's like some bizarre version of baseball, but it's a lot more than that. And one of these days, I'm going to do an episode about cricket in which I explain the rather complex rules uh, but my granddad was a huge lover of cricket, and it was always a pleasure to sit with him watching cricket. Uh, it was just a fantastic time. Uh, the glasses of sherry that he would drink when he came to our place, served by my dad. Sherry is a kind of strong, fortified wine, and typically people drink it um, as a sort of an aperitif before eating uh, Sunday lunch. Um, drinking whiskey with him at Christmas. It was kind of a tradition that um, every Christmas... Um, he would open a bottle of whiskey and often we'd share a glass. Um, His friendly, hello Luke, and a good firm handshake when I met him. Um, His slippers, which he used to wear. He used to have these kind of nice leather leather slippers, which were very sort of uh, quite chic, actually, and and I expect rather comfortable. His sense of humour, he could copy different voices and he was always funny when he did this. Um, His style... Um, and the style of my granny. Um, my my grand, by the way, died in 2002 before my granddad. And she was really elegant. She had real style. And so did my granddad. You know, he had this really nice, elegant style. He, he often would wear a tie. If he went out on, on a Sunday, he'd put a tie on and a shirt. And he was always well-dressed. And he, you know, he strongly believed that if, for example, people went on television that they should wear a tie and a suit... Uh, so he often would complain about seeing people on TV who were dressed in a T-shirt or whatever, and he didn't really understand that. He came from a different generation. Um, um, his French cars, he always drove uh, Renaults. Uh, um, he had Renault 5s and Renault Clios. Uh, always drove French cars. And, and in fact, he loved France, maybe because of the time that he spent there uh, during the war and he became attached to the place. Um and he he also spoke French very well. He spoke fluent French, and he even wrote a few short stories in French too, which were published in in a magazine somewhere. Uh, my girlfriend and I used to sit with him and chat in French with him sometimes. I say my girlfriend and I; it was mainly mainly my girlfriend and my granddad really who spoke most of the French because my French is a bit limited to say the least. But I would sort of, you know, have a few words with him in French and it was sort of, strangely, it was a way to get closer to him. Um, he he loved Sherlock Holmes stories and we had this in common because I love Sherlock Holmes stories too. And we would sometimes sit and chat about Sherlock Holmes and Watson um, and it was a great way to just, again, kind of, uh, have something in common and just to get a bit closer to him. I played him my mystery story from episodes 29 and 30 of Luke's English podcast. I don't know if you've ever heard them, but um, years ago uh, I did, um, uh, I kind of came up with a mystery story that involved Sherlock Holmes. Um, you can listen to those episodes, uh, number two, uh, number 29 and number 30. I played him those and he enjoyed them. Uh, although I'm sure that he could have written something much better than what I did. Um, I could go on, I could, but there's there's so much to say, and I'm sure that I have missed some details, but there you go. Um, I think that's, I don't really have much more to say. My, my gran died in 2002, 
and my granddad was always there for her um you know in the period up to her death when she was not very well it must have been really hard to lose her after all those years i you know if i again remember them in those black and white photos together in their first house and then the years that they spent together the team that they created and the the you know the family that they raised it must have been really hard to see her growing older and growing weaker and and unfortunately her her health failed and um you know and she died um, it must have been really hard to to then live alone uh in the same house for a while uh but then you know he seemed to cope with it okay He's a re- he was a resilient man um and after about 6 or 7 years in fact he he then got himself a girlfriend um called Shirley and at that time when he got together with Shirley I didn't even have a girlfriend um so I was pretty impressed with him to be honest um Shirley and Dennis lived together in in the last years of his life and she looked after him really really well and if it hadn't been for her then he might have ended up in a care home or something like that and he certainly wouldn't have wanted that so um Shirley was was really good to him in in you know at the end of his life. Um, Granddad stayed mentally alert all the way up to the end of his life. He was a brilliant he was brilliant at crossword puzzles, pub quizzes, TV quiz shows, and so on. Um, in the end, he died as a result of a heart condition. It wasn't completely unexpected or a shock, but it's still unavoidably moving and difficult to deal with a uh, to deal with when a member of the family dies. My mum was with him when he passed away, holding his hand. So that's it. He's gone now. Where did he go? I don't know. Um, that's a weird thing that he's he, he was here. His presence was here. He's gone. Where on earth did he go? What happened? I still don't understand it. I know that there are some people out there in the world who have their answers to that question. The question of where we go when we die. But for me personally, I, I can't be sure. Uh, but it's okay. It's okay because all things must pass. It's just the way things are. Nothing lasts forever. And it's it's better to try and accept it. So that's pretty much the end of this episode about my granddad. And I, I genuinely hope that you haven't found it boring. I really, really hope not. Um, I understand that um, normally on the podcast, I try and kind of keep the energy up and I try and keep it interesting and, and involving and so on. And uh, um, I... I didn't prepare this as much as I would want. I mean, to do my granddad justice, obviously I'd need to do a lot more work on it. Uh, but I just wanted to be able to talk about him on the podcast and I couldn't spend too much time on it. And that's just the best I could do. Um, I realised that at times in this episode, I haven't been completely articulate. I've sort of um, uh, stumbled over my words every now and then. I suppose I feel that, you know, I feel it's not quite good enough as a tribute to him. But um, it's just uh, it's the best I could do under the circumstances. Um, so I hope that you've found this, you know, fairly interesting to listen to. Do feel free to leave your comments. You can just, you know, communicate whatever you want to say. Uh, if you want to express something about um, what I've told you about my granddad, then go ahead. Uh, if you would like to just talk about someone that you know who you've lost and how that felt and any kind of comment would be, would be great. Um, so... I'd, I'd actually quite like to sing a song at the end of this episode. If you don't like music and you don't like to hear me sing, now's the time to stop listening to this episode. But if you uh, if you want to hear a song, then stick around. 
So this is a song by George Harrison. My granddad wasn't a big George Harrison or Beatles fan, but um, I just chose this song because I feel like it's appropriate. Um, And uh, so this is it. Apologies for my singing in advance. Sunrise doesn't last all morning A cloudburst doesn't last all day Seems my love is up and has left you with no warning It's not always gonna be this great All things must pass All things must pass away Sunset doesn't last all evening A mind can blow those clouds away After all this my love is up and must be leaving It's not always gonna be this great All things must pass None of life's strings can last So I must be on my way Face another day Now the darkness only stays the night time In the morning it'll fade away Daylight is good at arriving at the right time It's not always gonna be this great All things must pass All things must pass away That was All Things Must Pass by George Harrison. Sorry about my dodgy ukulele playing. Uh, I just wanted to sing that song. Um, That's the end of this episode. Uh, I hope you've you've enjoyed it or found it useful or interesting or whatever. Leave your comments at teacherluke.co.uk. I'll be back with more normal podcasting soon. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.